The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. What could be better than my wife giving me a pie to the face? All you need to do to make that happen is help Saints Happy Hour get to 350 patrons by week one of the Saints preseason. So do it. Supporting Saints Happy Hour gives you the best Saints podcast every day. Access to our private Discord channel to talk Saints 24-7 and the world-famous booze bundle with four swag items. Annual patrons get a month for free. So go sign up at saintshappyhour.com so I can get a raspberry pie stuffed in my pie hole. Do it. Go to saintshappyhour.com. This is Sean Payton, head coach of the New Orleans Saints. What's with this Saints happy cast? This has to be the worst Saints podcast in the world. Ralph can't say anyone's name right. Andrew doesn't know football. Everyone has a hard time listening to Dave. And is Kevin even there tonight? The audio with this podcast, my God, the audio, it's its painful. All right, everybody, welcome to a special edition of Saints Happy Hour podcast. We got a guest today. Speaking of great audio, one, this man, he's got better audio than us. He's got like a professional studio ah. set up. But the second thing, Andrew, this man has the most incredible voice. It's Ross Jackson from Locked and Saints. Ross, I so listen every smooth. day. It's so smooth. It's so smooth. He never makes mistakes. He pronounces names right. I love the podcast, but I also hate him. I was like, he's like, everything I want to be with my voice, he has. And I was going to say, Ross, can you give Ross some like articulation coaching? Or something. You can't help me. Can I give give Ralph? Can I give Ralph some articulation? (laughs) Yeah, we you know we can sit we can chop it up for a little while, Ralph. (laughs) You have like some breathing exercises, some alliteration. You know, a little bit, some some uh, some vocal warm ups before right. you step in front of the mic. You know, all this good stuff. Now, hey, it's absolute pleasure to be here with you guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I, I love this show. I, I love hearing that y'all listen to Locked On Saints. I am a longtime listener of you guys, so I, I'm just grateful to be here with you. Being well, able to share I feel the mic like with, you, man. with Locked On Saints, it's just it's just a different. It's just a different show in that you're so tight and you don't ramble and it's like boom, 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 boom. And I know that I can like get all my sane stuff quick. But um, the one thing that I wanted to ask to start with you is mm-hmm. you're on the calls. You're covering the mini camp, right? I feel like it's very different in a sense of really smart media people like you or Underhill and Triplett. Y'all would be out at minicamp, and I know it's not pads, but you might watch a guy and you might say, hey, Marcus Devon, I saw you were working here or you were doing this, and you catch Mm -hmm. these specific things, and then you interview them, and it makes it more interesting. Now, there's no practice, so you're just like, 
you're just getting these interviews and it, they could be coming out of a meeting or a weight room. So how is that a different thing for you to try to glean information from the Saints? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think that the thing that I always aim for is to try to develop questions as insightful as the one that you just asked too, right? Something that's going to make them think, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to ask them not just about, hey, what's it like being back in the facility, even though that's a great question, because you get a sort of a temperature and a gauge on how they're feeling and how they're feeling getting back to uh, getting back into rhythm. But, you know, asking other questions about, you know, what else have they been doing over the course of the offseason? What have they been focusing on? Where are some of the places that even in the classroom, like it has to start somewhere, right? If you're going to play six different techniques from three different positions on the defensive line, that's got to start somewhere. So even if you're not on the field yet, you have to start learning that in the classroom. You have to start learning that during install. And so I want to know, you know, a little bit about what's the impetus, like, where does that begin? Where's the catalyst for that transition or for that, that education that it takes to get you to that, that point to where you're comfortable doing that on a Sunday where you've got, you know, everybody there and ready to go. And you're trying to win a football game. Ross, it's been really cool and impressive to kind of watch your evolution, um, as, as you've been in the business and you, uh, you were kind of like us, like probably at some point like waiting at bated breath for these tweets to come through your timeline right you're scrolling your phone like oh my god like what what's gonna happen next and now like you're on the other side you're like you're on these calls and, and you're, you're the one that's tweeting like i'm waiting with bated breath what is ross gonna say yeah and so what quote like, is he gonna give me like so i i'm i'm in i'm interested in just hearing like that dynamic of like switching to that side where like you you know you've been on the other side of it so you know like i'm about to fire off something that is probably people are probably going to overreact to just because they're so hungry they're like wolves right like just waiting for any sort of information that you can share but also like there's a little bit of healthy competition i'm guessing between like other media people that are like i want to fire off something salient that's maybe a little bit different maybe a little bit quicker than this other guy's going to fire it off so i'm just curious if you can share with us a little bit of that dynamic yeah it's it's a it's a great question because it's it's almost an immediate transition for me right now because two weeks ago i was the person waiting to see what people were tweeting like it wasn't like a whole off season separated like i just started getting credentialed in for mini camps and things like that so it's a really really um it's really new and and the advantage are you scared to ask questions I was the first time, yeah, because, yeah. you know, you don't want, especially the first one, you don't want your first question to be like, yo, that was whack, <laughs> bro. Like, get up out of here. Like, I don't want that to be, the, you know, the, I didn't want that to be the first experience. But, you know, so you, you lighten up a little bit and then, you know, you kind of remember like, oh, you know, people are people. And so you ask the question, either, you know, they have an answer for it or maybe they haven't had enough time to develop an answer for it yet. Like, there's all bunch of different reasons that maybe a question won't work and not all of them are because you suck. You know what I mean? And so I think that there there was a moment of getting settled with that with that fact. And so, you know, I, I have a it's not an advantage, but I think I have a unique sort of perspective coming in to these interviews because literally just last week I was waiting to see what people were tweeting about media availability. And so I, I kind of knew what it was that I was sitting there going, oh, I hope somebody tweets something about this. So that helps me understand what questions to ask when I am in the environment. So I, I do think that the freshness is helpful. And, you know, I, I have certain things that are maybe important to me um, in my life experience and things like that, that are that are different from, you know, other folks that are in the room, just like they all have things that are important to them that are different than what might be important to me. And so I think that, you know, maybe there is 
a level of competition, but the last thing I ever want to do is be first and wrong. I'd rather be last and right. And so I'll take my time, you know, sending out the tweet and everything like that to make sure everything's <laughs> spelled correctly. Nothing can be, you know, misconstrued or anything like that, which actually happened to me today. I rushed a little bit to get a tweet out. I tweeted it out and then I immediately deleted it because I was like, mm, that last sentence doesn't sound great. Was and it a juicy so trade I, rumor? I, I sent it was it Aaron Rodgers to the Saints? It was not Aaron Rodgers to the Saints. It was not Aaron. It never <laughs> so will be Aaron So basically what you're saying is your calculated, methodical approach is the complete opposite of how Ralph would go about That's right. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, I will say, Andrew, that when I worked at, at WWL-TV and when I worked for Buddy D, I would get on the mm -hmm. co the coaches' calls. And, like, it was – you weren't in the room with them, obviously, but – there is this like fear that I don't think normal fans understand about like asking a question. I remember when they played uh, the the Cowboys in 04 and it was there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. It was the year they finished. They won the four straight games with the Saints. We're in like a death spiral before that game, but kind of so were the Cowboys. And I asked Bill Parcells, I was like, listen, your turnover margin the last four weeks is like minus four or minus three, but it's only because you're not creating any turnovers. What's going on with that? Why isn't your defense creating turnovers like they were in the beginning of the year? And God, he paused, and I swear to God that pause felt like five years. Like oh, I was yeah. like, Bill Parcells is going to be like, who the fuck is this guy? He sounds stupid. He's probably crippled, even though he couldn't see me, and he's just going to rip me to shreds. And I was like, this is going to be terrible. But then he like paused, and he's like, that's a really good question. You know, if you're minus one in a turnover in the game, you lose 80-something percent of the time. And he's like, we have to balance that out. And I just, like, exhaled. And, like, I'm sure after you do it a while, Ross, you get used to it and it's fine. But I'm telling you, man, those f the first time you do it, it's like diving in the deep end of a pool. I swear to God. It really is. Yeah, and especially, like, if you're doing that with Bill Parcells, yeah. of all people. Yeah, you know I was what I mean? like, there's, Yeah, like, there's That was a, a nice little flex by Ralph there. <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of coming at it from the humble approach, but he's like, yeah, you know that time I – well, no, it wasn't like I was in the it's room great. with him, though. It's just like the conference yeah. call. So it's like right. it's like me, Buddy D, on the conference call in the WWL 
the WWE uh, office, and then it's like you know the Times Picayune guys because you know they they give you what they give you the uh, the posing coach and quit, a player. Quit downplaying <laughs> it. It's Bill Parcells, man. I was. And scared. that's the thing is like there's there's varying levels of like pressure that come with who you're asking the question, right? Like coaches are a different pressure than yeah. players and some players are different pressure levels than other players some coaches are different pressure levels than other coaches like all of that's very very present so to ask a question like that to where you're literally in order to ask the question you have to point out hey something's not going right with your team yeah, that's right like, that's that's challenging like it that's is. really challenging yeah and you've seen it you've seen it ross like mm-hmm. sean payton will not let you get away with the awful question yeah like, exactly. I, question? i've seen that where like sometimes people ask him completely reasonable questions and he bites bites their head off i mean but if you ask like with sean payton i feel like you better have that question precise because if you if it's long and rambling he quit he'll quit you can see it in the video conference last year i could see it like he would quit paying attention in the middle of the question and then be like is there a question with that like but um one thing i want to talk about is zach bond you know Mm -hmm. They they drafted him and they're like all oh, this cool stuff you did in college, Zach. Eh, we don't want you to do that. We want you to do this other thing. So today I saw Demario Davis said, "Hey, he's got a great opportunity to uh, contribute to this team and get a starting spot." So, where is your sense of? I know you can't see him in the practice field, but where is your sense of where he might be? I know that's a really hard question because you can't see you don't you can't see a, a damn thing. But what's your sense no, from other you. players and coaches? Yeah, I mean, it seems that there is that there's progress and that there are steps forward. And I think at this point, that's what you that's what you want to hear, right? And I think that you know we'll see that once it comes to training camp and everything, of course. But at this point, when you're hearing about him learning in the classroom, you know, working in the weight room, is he dedicate? If he's dedicating himself in all of these areas, then you can imagine and trans and sort of allow that to translate into, hey, he's truly dedicating himself to the success on the field as well. And so all of those things still speak to one another, even though maybe we're not actually seeing it outright on the field at the moment. But, you know, when it comes down to it right now, he's in the midst of a big time position change. I mean, you know, he might have been somebody that maybe concerns, maybe the concern was that, let's say he would have been a little bit too undersized to be a pass rusher successfully at the NFL level from a three-point stance, right? Or even a two-point stance off the line of scrimmage. And so utilizing him at will linebacker, which is now where he says that he's getting getting his work, that allows him to operate in space. It allows him to blitz. It allows him to, to stunt and wrap with other players along the defensive line, much like Demario Davis did so successfully last year. And so it opens up the opportunity to still have a bit of that pass rushing presence. But now here's all of these other responsibilities that you're going to have as well in terms of manning up against tight ends or you know overhanging on certain coverages and things like that so it, it's it is going to be a lot for him to be able to make that transition especially when he basically lost an offseason last year in terms of what was or wasn't available in the midst of training camp and in such a weird sort of truncated area but also a very unique area in the midst of the pandemic so we'll see how much he's able to really take those steps forward and translate them into you know play on the field during camp in uh, what a little bit over a month now we are on the Locker Room app every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock talking Saints, talking NFL. It's amazing. You can interact with us, goof to us. We're having a blast talking Saints live. All you have to do is go download the Locker Room app for free in the iOS app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and then join the NFL group. 
follow me at Saints Happy Hour to be notified when the room goes live. We'll be going live every Wednesday at around 9 o'clock to talk Saints. So do it. Download the Locker Room app today and then join us live every Wednesday at 9 o'clock. Ross, um, I thought it was interesting that Jameis had all these guys come practice with him. Um, and obviously, Traquan stayed at his house, and he, <laughs> you know, we know we know that he paid for his flight. But right. you know, he, he he practiced with Troutman, he practiced with um, Tony Jones, I mean, all these guys. And you didn't really hear that about Taysom. That doesn't mean he didn't train with these guys. Just we we didn't really we haven't really heard much about Taysom this offseason other than I'm training to be a quarterback, not a you know, Swiss army knife kind of guy. Right. So I'm curious. It seems like the combination of just, if you read the tea leaves, the combination of Jameis having all these guys come over to him, just how they speak about Jameis in interviews. It feels to me like the locker room is squarely behind Jameis. They want him to be the guy. They like him better. No disrespect to Taysom. It just, that, that's just how it feels to me. I'm curious now that you're interviewing these players, that are you still getting that vibe? Or now that they're all as a team in a room together, is it becoming more of like this like bipartisan, no, it's a quarterback competition? Yeah, I mean, I think that it is, you know, everyone's going to try to have respect for both of these players, right? Like they're going to make sure that they carry their conversations with the utmost respect about either one of them in the midst of this. I mean, this is the first quarterback battle in New Orleans that most of these players have experienced in their Forget time players. in New Orleans. And then, this is brand new for all of us. We're going to get to that in a second. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And even for coaches who, of course, haven't had this happen in New Orleans for, you know, two decades now at this point, essentially, like Jeff Blake and Aaron Brooks was really the last one. And was that really a competition? And no, but, you it know, wasn't. You look, you're right. So you look at the way that this sort of pans out and it's sort of unique aspect of all of it. And I think that with all of that, you see two varied and very, very different approaches to the same competition and to the same goal. Jameis is very much out in the open. He's making his process accessible. He's posting stuff on um, on Instagram and his his uh, doing a bunch of interviews. And he's working with Todd Durkin. He's working with Jay Glazer, who of course is a close personal friend of Sean Payton's. Like, there's a lot of whether it's strategic or just simply personality based. It's smart by both of them, right? The question that I asked earlier today was, "What's a better way to distinguish yourself than to distinguish yourself?" And that's exactly what both of them are doing with their process because you see this big out loud out in front process with Jameis Winston, but then you're seeing a little bit more of a reserved, close to the chest type of a process with Taysom Hill. I personally had no idea that he was working, that he had been working with New Orleans Saints players and teammates over the course of the last month until I think it was Kat that asked about, you know, got that answer yesterday or two days ago uh, in one of the, the, during media availability. And so he's been very kind of keeping things to himself and just putting his head down and doing the work. And that fits Taysom Hill's personality, just like Jameis's process fits his personality. So I think it's two different approaches. And the folks that are listening to this, some of them are going to say Jameis's approach is better. Some are going to say that Taysom's approach is better. And I think that that is probably indicative of what you're going to also hear amongst, you know, what would be the sort of reception amongst the coaching staff. So unifying that and figuring out, getting them both to where it is out in front of everybody during training camp, and there's nothing either one of them can do about it at that point. That's going to be where things begin to separate. Well, it's interesting with Taysom because, you know, we, we say, you know, they gravitate towards Jameis and he's doing all this stuff. But if you remember the moments, there's moments where like, 
Taysom played last year, I, I think it was, what, two years ago against Dallas where he, like, ran over the dude and the defense mm-hmm. for the Saints was just, like, jumping up and down on the bench. So they, they both have these ways of right. pulling guys closer to them. Um, so it's going to be interesting. My question to you is, how do you think Sean Payton is going to allow the media to cover this quarterback battle? Because I feel like he's going to be—he's going to like put down markers, and it's going to—he might be like injuries where like I'm not talking about quarterback today, and like it's going to be interesting in that how you guys ask him questions because outside fans, I can tell you, me, Andrew, the rest of Saints Twitter, Saints Nation, whatever. We're going to be looking at this thing every freaking day, and we're going to be like Ross. What was Tamis, What was Jameis's stats? What was Tame? What was Taysom? How did they look? What did they run? Like we want it all. So, how do you think Sean Payton is going to deal with that? From you having to answer that every single day, or is he going to like put markers down, kind of like what he does with injuries and in certain players in training camp sometimes? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that there will be a certain extent to where he will be willing to talk about it and then an extent to where he won't. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, we know very much that Sean Payton will remain mum on these type of situations all the way down to, you know, whenever he's most comfortable. Remember when, uh, you know, uh, Drew had the UCL injury in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. He even talked about a two quarterback system before he named Teddy Bridgewater the, the right. starting quarterback, right? You know, so I think that, you know, he'll wait. Uh, as long as he needs to and certainly like what we say and what we you know sort of share in terms of what we are allowed to share from camp and things like that um and and just to be clear like i'm not a a final for camp or anything like that they're still finalizing all their camp stuff so when i say we it's it's loose in terms of media who will be there but you know when it comes down to what's able to be shared from camp i think that all of that is just information that goes out to fans and it's not going to really affect the way that Sean Payton's going to be willing to talk about. It. Sean Payton's going to going to set the boundaries because it's good for the quarterbacks and it's good for the organization to do so. And then once they're ready to sort of make the final decision about who's going to be the person, then that's what you'll hear as opposed to like a this one's in the lead right now versus this one's in the lead right now, like all these little things. Well, I just want to say we know the Saints monitor this podcast and we know Sean Payton is going to gift a certain media person with who is the starting quarterback. Whoever listens to this in the Saints building, get it back to Sean. We want you to gift it to Ross Jackson. He deserves it. He's the best. (laughs) I want Ross Jackson breaking that news. Not Jay Glazer, not Deanna Rossini. We want Ross Jackson breaking it. I'm just saying. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You're the first one to ever ask for something like that for me, so thank you. <laughs> well, the Saints, the Saints do whatever Ralph asks for. They don't. So they don't. It, should, it should be in the bag. Ross. <laughs> it's in the bag. So congratu- congratulations. Oh, oh, no, I'll just, I I'll spoke just, nicely of you. They might ban you from off the facility. In that case, <laughs> uh, Ross, I we we have a lot of podcasts where we pontificate about you know the topic of the day and. We keep talking about where the you know where are the holes on this roster. What are we worried about? And sure. I, I keep coming back to everyone's talking about corner, and I, mm-hmm. I'm as nervous as everyone about corner. And obviously the Saints are too because they poked around with Richard Sherman. They just looked at Kirkpatrick. So like there there's a chance they're going to bring in a guy. Uh, and there's this question about between you know Adebo, PJ Williams, Patrick Robinson. Mm-hmm. Which one of those guys would even be the starter if the Saints were to play a game tomorrow? But the position that no one really talks about is defensive tackle. And I'm, I'm surprised by that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like right now, as it stands today, I guess Shai Tuttle is starting next to David Onyemata. 
I still don't see a clear nose one technique guy on this team to replace Malcolm Brown. Maybe that'll be Lorenzo Neal, you know, mm-hmm. junior, but like, I, I don't really see a clear nose and, and you know, the run defense has been so critical to this team's success. So it's like, I, right. I don't know, like, and then, and then who's, who's the rotation, I guess Malcolm Roach is the next man up, you know? So it's just like, right. there's a ton of unknowns at defensive tackle. It feels really thin to me. Tell me I'm crazy. No, you're, you're not. I mean, I, I look at, I look at defensive tackle as a big time question mark and a big time storyline going into training camp and should be throughout training camp. You know, Glasgow was somebody that also came in early last year and, and, and played that one tech nose tackle uh, spot and uh, with Sheldon Rankins and David Onyemata kind of rotating at three tech next to that or, or four eye, the different, different things that they were playing. They were all over the place, but, or two eye rather. But, you know, I, I think that when it comes down to it, you'll sort of see the way that it all plays out over the course of camp is not necessarily going to be indicative of the situation that is going to happen week one. And I think we see that a lot on the defensive line, right? We see that a lot at the defensive line. We see that a lot at the running back position, right? Somebody stands out, somebody is big time and everybody's going, that's the one. And then, you know, that never ends up necessarily being the case come week one. And so it's going to be really interesting to sort of watch how all this pans out. I agree with you that shy Tuttle right now seems to be to me, the favorite next to, uh, David Onyemata in terms of the players that are in the building right now, but I don't want to uh, discredit, uh, again, Mitchell Glasgow, who who did it a ton last year a- as well. But, you know, you look at sort of the, the national perspective of the folks that are having this conversation, Shai Tuttle's name tends to be the one that comes up. And, and he's had... Um, a really great couple of years in terms of his development into that role that it makes a ton of sense. And we've seen him progress and get better each of those seasons. So I think that that's something to keep in mind I mean, he'll never, well, I guess there is a way that he can get better than the Matt Ryan stiff arm. Uh, it would be doing it again, uh, but that was still such a that's never moment. Happened. Right? Yeah. Yeah, right? so. Matt Ryan. <laughs> oh, I love it. So much. Thank you for giving me a reason to play it. (laughs) I do what I can. I do what I can. (laughs) Um, No, you know, I I think that, you know, because of that moment, I think he has a lot of exposure to the fan base, right? So that's one of the reasons why his name comes up so much. But, you know, we'll see exactly how it really translates when it comes into... um, when it gets into the camp. I'll also be interested to see, like, does David Onyemata continue to be the penetrating three-tech defensive tackle, or, you know, does he rotate in and then Malcolm Roach rotates at that three-tech or or what all, all that's going to happen? Like, how much David Onyemata or even Tano Passanio play at three-tech will sort of influence a little bit about who we see at one-tech as well. You know, I'm a – Andrew, will tell you, I'm, a, I'm the president of the Dan- David Onyemata fan club. Oh, I yeah. feel like if he just gets – like even 10% better Ross he can be the best defensive tackle that's a human being because Aaron Donald is not of this earth and he's in a different category but I really believe that Onyemata can be a guy if he gets 15% better I think you have to start talking about him as one of the elite of the elite interior defensive guys I really, really, really look forward to him entering that conversation in 2021 because I think he can. I, I'm right there with you. I really, really think he can be in that class of elite three-tech 
I mean, really, like, you just have to call him a defensive tackle because he plays everything, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so you really have to respect as well the versatility that he brings and his ability to be able to play, you know, anywhere along that interior with all of the different types of techniques and gap shoots that the Saints use and assignments that the Saints use. And so, I, I mean, even just getting prepared for that is a task in and of its own. And so I, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. I, I think, you know, he, he doesn't have that far to go to be in conversation for one of the best at his position. Ross, uh, how are you feeling about just the receiving core, Adam Troutman, just kind of the skill positions, not counting running back? Obviously, yeah, the Saints are good at running back. But how do you feel like it seems like we're getting some good reports from Sean Payton. He's optimistic. But just what are you gauging from who you've talked to? Yeah, no, uh, Sean has consistently said that he is less less concerned or he sees the need at wide receiver as being less than that of the general public. And, and, and that's great because you want to have, you know, the vote of confidence for the players that are in the building and everything. So it'll be really interesting to see how all that pans out. Obviously, you have Michael Thomas, who's going to be your ex receiver or your number one option. He plays inside, uh, you know, on the slot a lot as well, as you guys know. And so I think, you know, the biggest question mark is just not necessarily that there's a need at wide receiver two, but there's a need to know who wide receiver two or the Z flanker receiver is going to be. And I kind of right now give Traquan Smith the nod. Uh, You know, you look at some of the projected 53-man rosters that are out there from some of the national outlets, and they tend to put Marquez Calloway out there because they look at Traquan Smith as a slot receiver. But Traquan Smith was drafted at a UCF with 19.8 yards per catch playing uh, an outside role. And then he got drafted by the Saints and then ended up fitting into the slot because the Saints had... Ted Ginn Jr. over on the outside. And so this is really an opportunity for Traquan Smith to finally play the position that perhaps he was drafted to play. And I think that that should really, you know, that I, to me, that gives him a nod of confidence at that spot if he can win in that position. Um, I'm interested, uh, you know, I, I'm interested to see how Marquez Calloway continues to develop. He had such a great year last year. Uh, when he was healthy, of course, he, he battled some injuries. Uh, Deontay Harris's role continues to grow, and he told us yesterday he's looking forward to that role continuing to grow going into 2021. And then uh, Kawan Baker, the seventh-round draft pick out of uh, out of South Alabama, I know he's not a big name. I know he's a seventh-round draft pick, and usually we say, hey, temper your expectations about the potential for a guy like that. But he's also the first receiver that the Saints have spent a draft pick on since 2018 when they took Traquan Smith. So I'm interested to see his ability. He played, I think, 76% of his snaps from the slot at South Alabama, but the Saints want to get him some work on the outside. And he had, you know, 11 rushing touchdowns in his career at South Alabama. I mean, he feels like a, a Sean Payton, you know, piece. Like, he feels how, perfect for Sean Payton. How many good uh, cell phone videos of Baker do we need the first week of camp before we get irrationally excited and I'm jersey shopping for Baker. This I'm, this is a really this is a really easy answer, Ralph, and I'm sorry if this is disappointing, but it takes one. <laughs> <laughs> it will take one. And I know that's all it's going to take. Look, if, if one video of Emmanuel Butler was enough for Saints Twitter to have him catching 50 balls in a season, yeah, one. It, it might be it might be less than one. It might be just like a poor it might it might just be a tweet, you know? Right, right. Just, just a like general Nick, kind Nick of Underhill just says like Baker made a nice catch, 70 <laughs> balls. Uh, Ross, I want to point out two things real quick. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. glad you're recording this, uh, Ralph, because no mention of Lil' Jordan Humphrey, and I want right. you to play that back to Dave so that he, he hears that. Uh, but, you know, no, it's interesting to hear you talk about um, Kawan because I, I remember just watching his tape, and the first thing I, I thought of was Debo Samuel, you know, with the right. 49ers. It's just like so much of his game – 
his ability after the catch. You talked about the rushing touchdowns, just the, he looks like a running back when he has the ball and there's the inconsistency with the routes, inconsistency with the hands and that stuff he's going to have to improve and work on. But the one thing you love is, you know, that when the ball's in his hands and secondary is trying to tackle him in open field, like that's something that translates overnight to the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, just to further define that for you, too, it's, it's not that he runs around people. For those of you listening, he runs through right. bodies. Like he is a, when, when, when Andrew says he's a running back with the ball in his hands, it's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that versatility, everything about it, I love the comparison to Debo Samuel. I kind of talked about him throughout the draft process as like Kadarius, like a small school Kadarius Tony is basically. And that that fits the Debo Samuel thing perfectly as well. He's a small school Debo Samuel. Like he, he has some things violent. he has to improve and it's, upon. It, it's fun, but it also concerns you because you're like, dude, get out of bounds. Go get out. It's okay to like, right? Like, don't get, get out hurt, of bounds. Not, <laughs> not run the dude over. Don't get hurt. But you know, I mean, like he has he has a an aspect of his game that is not only something that gives you a benefit on the field in terms of the production, right? Like you run somebody over, maybe picks up two or three yards. Maybe that's not as important to you, but the jolt that that gives the rest of the team, the energy that that brings, that can be Quan Alexander-like, right? Like one of the things that Quan did so well is he brought energy to the team. You could see something like that from Kawan Baker uh, as well over on the offensive side. So I'm, I'm excited to see him. Uh, I want to temper expectations a little bit, but again, like the fact that the Saints invested in him in the draft and chose to do so, even though he had reportedly a, a, an undrafted free agent conversation with them already, and they wanted to make sure that they got him, that speaks volumes. Ross, every Saints fan has a different story of how just the uh, the seed was planted, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, uh, you know, we just had a patron on recently uh, that, his name was Matt Ryan. Of all, yes, of yes, all yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, he, uh, the first thing he he mentioned was that his first game as a kid, and you know, I think he's you know in his fifties, but he, his first game as a kid was the Tom Dempsey kick. And I just mm. hearing him say that, it's just like holy shit, that's your first experience. Like, no wonder you're addicted and you can't yeah. you, you keep coming back after an experience like that. But I'm just curious, Ross, for you, like we all have our different paths, but I I always love to kind of humanize it and. Yeah. Hear hear from fans like how it all started for you. And obviously you're in the media now, so like your relationship with it all has changed mm-hmm. because you have to now deliver news and uh try to be unbiased and all that stuff. But I, I'm just right. curious if you can just kind of tell fans, kind of give them an insight into like how it all started for you. Yeah, I mean look, I I mean I, I was born and raised in New Orleans, so I you know, I, I went from I went very quickly though from not having a choice to not wanting a choice, you know what I mean? Um, and as I was coming up, I think as I was playing wide receiver and, and, you know, and peewee and all these other things, and I was, you know, I was learning positions. One of the, the people that really like roped me in, in terms of, you know, players in the black and gold, well, there's two of them really, uh, Michael Lewis was a huge, 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 like kind of ceiling point for me to where I was like, oh, okay, I want to do that first of all. And I want to watch this every Sunday because he was must see TV you know, coming out as the, you know, this incredible, incredible, electrifying, you know, returner in the return game. And especially his story, right? Driving a Budweiser truck, if I remember correctly, right. it was. Yep. you know, just like a week before and he showed up for a tryout. Like, that's dope. Like, you want to, you want to root for folks like that. Like, talk about humanizing stories, right? Um, and then Sammy Knight. Sammy Knight was another big, big piece as well. And then I started to learn a little bit about, you know, the the defenses of the past at that point. You know, I, I, I just missed... 
um, you know, Ricky Jackson and that, you know, that last year of 92 with the, all four of them making the pro bowl and everything. And, uh, you know, in the early nineties and stuff, I just missed, you know, starting to watch football at that point. And so it was sort of these other guys that really got me, got me roped in as opposed to a, a moment in particular. Yeah. So it's interesting with, with Michael Lewis, because people forget, like he was beer. Like, I feel like today, if that happened, that would just, it would be like ESPN would do like a 30 for 30 on it. Like it it was this dude, he was driving a beer truck. And then like two years later, he's the best returner in the NFL. Like, right. It's just against all odds. My favorite story about Michael Lewis. And so, you know, I, I, I'm from Louisiana originally, but I went to school in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, after college, so first of all, a lot of my college buddies, they're from Virginia. So they're all, you know, they were Washington Redskins at the time, Washington football team fans. And, uh, so, you know, a lot of them were season ticket holders and, uh, my buddy invited me to go see the, the football team against the saints. And so I went to that game at, at what was at the time FedEx. Well, I guess it was, I don't know if it was RFK yet, or maybe it had just become FedEx, mm-hmm. but, uh, so I go and, you're leading up to the game. So it's Hazlitt versus Spurrier and Spurrier said all these things in the media. Like, that's right. Well, I I can tell you this, I'm not going to be staying up all night. Like old Jim Hazlitt over there in new Orleans. (laughs) So he mispronounces his name and he kind of mocks him for working hard, you know? Right. Uh, And like, I don't, you don't need to work hard to win games kind of thing as if, but, uh, so they play each other and, you know, obviously I, my buddies, I live in Virginia. My buddies are all Redskins fans. So like, I want to stick it to them. I want to stick it to their team. Oh, sure. yeah. And I remember in that game, Michael Lewis ran back a punt. He ran back a touch. He ran back a kick. So he had two returns for touchdowns. And then he catches like a 60-yard bomb from right. Aaron Brooks. And I remember my buddy just turning to me during that game. And, you know, he's in like a Sean Taylor jersey. And he just looks at me and he goes, that guy is killing us. <laughs> and it, it was, I mean, I, I don't know that Michael Lewis had a better game his whole career. Like it, he oh, literally that won that game by yeah. himself. Yeah. yeah. It was special. That was, that was like the game for yeah. him. And what an incredible, I moment. mean, he got, he, he, there was a stretch. People forget. I mean, he got, he got the Devin Hester treatment where teams are like, mm-hmm. have it at the 40. We're fine. Right. He's not, right. he's not, he, we're not kicking him. You know, right. <laughs> um, so we asked people to give us questions, Ross. Um, so somebody, a patron asked, how, why are you so nice when the rest of the media on, on social are such assholes? You are like the nicest person. Nice. People yell at you all the time. You're so nice. How do you manage to stay so nice on social? I, I, I have to lead this off by being nice. I disagree that everybody on social media within the media are assholes. I, I, I do want to say that first. But, um, you know, I, I always leave, lead with a sense of positivity. You know, I, I've been through a lot uh, in my life to, to get to this point. Um, homelessness, brain surgery, Katrina, mm-hmm. like all these different things that have sort of been formative for me. And the fact of the matter is that, like, you know, that end you know, my own being as I am, statistically, it's improbable that I'm doing anything at this time. And so based on all of that, I do, I can't do anything but appreciate where I am and what I have the opportunity to do. And so I'm always going to lead with gratitude. I'm always going to lead with kindness because, you know, first of all, there are hundreds of thousands, if not more people that want to be doing what I do and so I want to do all those people justice by doing it the best that I absolutely can. In order for me to do that, 
I'd never want to take anything for granted or be jaded about the opportunity that I have. And so I never lead with that. Yeah. And- Holy shit, man. If, if, uh, anyone listening wasn't already won over by Ross, like <laughs> Jesus, I mean, Ross, I mean, what, what is it going to take to piss you off? Like what, 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 would, it what, be- what would you have to do? Yeah. What would it take for you to finally boil over and lose it on Twitter? I mean, Oh, lose it on Twitter? No, that's not. No, that's he just, he just walk happen. away. Like, he's he's got discipline uh, yeah. and focus. Yeah, like, Ross would just be like, like I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna go I'm gonna know. go do actual work, and I'm just gonna put my phone down <laughs> and, and, and step away. He's not like I like, when I read a tweet and I want to lash out at someone, I'm just gonna DM Ross instead and have him talk me off the ledge. Talk yeah, man, him. come through, come through. I got you. Like <laughs> we can talk about literally anything else. Like don't even worry about it. <sighs> there have been times where people have like said some. I've had some pretty inflammatory things thrown at me on on social media and everything. I had somebody call me a colored reporter like maybe a month what? ago. What? Not even like that long. What? Ago. Really? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you, uh. just, you see stuff like that and you go. Oh, okay, well, I'm gonna go eat. You know, like it's just, I'm not gonna engage. You know, I'm not gonna you engage in stuff like that. The I wish I could say that surprises me. Actually, yeah, it doesn't surprise me because there are people that jump into my DMs, and I'm like, my God, you tweeted me <laughs> this. Like, I'm nobody. I get on TV, but I'm a nobody, and you're tweeting like these things, and I'm like, you're not even funny with these insults. Andrew, Kevin, Dave do a much better job. But, like, I can't imagine what minorities get, people of color, women. on Like, just what I get as, like, a a hardly a nobody in my DMs, I can't imagine what it is for other people. Because, like, like, Twitter and social media, like, people just – most of them are fine. But, like, there's a percentage of people, like, they just have no sense of anything. And they're just like, I'm on social and I don't even care if my picture – on my avatar like I'm just gonna spew this horribleness at you I'm like your name is there like how can you do I'm like how can you yeah. do this you, you, know, you don't even have like it's not even like, a, it's not even like a fake picture <laughs> you know yeah. it, it's insane you know and, and but you know the fact of the matter is that I, I have this really really and, and we, we all do like all of us that are sitting here talking right now we all have this really incredible opportunity to connect with one of the best fan bases in the NFL and one of the Amen. best communities in the NFL mm-hmm. right it, one of the best communities in the world like if we're talking about New Orleans the not even New Orleans but the 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 Gulf region is like one of the best communities in in the world to me and so you know those people exist and I know they're out there and sometimes they rear their ugly heads but for the most part, like that's not my experience on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, or or yeah. on social media or anything like that. Like, my experience are the people that that reach out to me, just like they all reach, just like they reach out to you and say thank you for what you're doing mm-hmm. and everything. And that's incredible. Like, I I never on the list of of direct messages you would have asked me about receiving like eight years ago, I never would have said, oh, I'm sure I'll get something eventually that says, hey, thank you for for your work you know, covering mm. the New Orleans Saints. Like, I mean... I probably would have, you know, laughed and walked away or something and been like, <laughs> Twitter, you know, because I wasn't even on Twitter. Well, either. no, I, my thing on social media, and I've done this from the very beginning, is if I meet someone out in public and they reckon, I want them to be like, you're exactly the same as you are on social media. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my, like, that's what I want. I don't want them to be like, yeah, God, he's a, he's a giant asshole on Twitter. Right. But he's nice and I'm having a beer with him now. Like, no, no. I want it to be That's the me. same. That's me. I'm way nicer in person. <laughs> Ross, um, so as we look at the season coming up, mm-hmm. like, wh- wh- what are you looking at, man? Like, as we kind of go back to the Saints here, what's 
as, as we get closer to training camp, and, and I, I mean, there could be a very easy answer here, like the Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston battle at quarterback. But I'm just, what, what are you really, as both a media member and a fan, yeah, like yeah. we all want the season to go great, right? Like what, what is your biggest hope as we get into camp, like besides health, you know, like yeah. that, that you think will set up the team for success? I think, I think the thing that's going to set this team up for success more than the individual that shows in at the quarterback position. I mean, the success of this season revolves around the quarterback position to an extent, right? Like to a a great extent. Yeah. And so I think that what's what, but the thing about it is that to me, it's not the individual that's chosen, you know, Jameis, I almost, I almost said Tameis, Jameis or or Taysom. It's, it's the system that's put around them and the absolute loyalty to the decision. Mm-hmm. that I think is going to be most important moving forward. You can't select, and, and and this is one of the things that I love about the New Orleans Saints organization is that I, I don't expect that they would do this. You can't select, let's say, Jameis, and then he goes out there and has, you know, it, it struggles week one, and then say, mm, okay, we're going to go to Taysom now. Like, whoever you choose, you have to build a system of trust and yeah. a system that that operates to their um, that operates to their best ability to succeed. And I think that becomes the most important part. And so because of that, that might affect the timeline of, you know, naming this quarterback. Uh, but I do expect the Saints mm-hmm. to take their time with it, you know, because as Sean Payton said during media availability a couple of days ago, that there will be things that will be different, obviously, depending upon who's the quarterback. But the main tenets, the main philosophies will all remain the same. This is Sean Payton's offense. This is Sean Payton's team, regardless. And because of that, regardless of who they select at quarterback, there is a real opportunity for that quarterback to find success in this offense. And to me, that's going to be what's most important. Ralph, there's two huge takeaways from what Ross just said. I mean, that's great stuff. And, you know, the first thing I took away from that is timeline, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, Mm -hmm. if you want to build an offense around a player, then can you wait until week one to make that announcement? Like, at what point do you have to make it so you make sure you build that offense and it's not just a game plan the week of, you know what I'm saying? So, Mm -hmm. The timeline thing is just like, I have no idea how you even approach that. So it'll be just interesting to see which way the Saints go with that. But, you know, the second thing is, and and I think Ross is spot on with this, is in years past with Breeze, I think this roster was so loaded and so good that quarterback play was maybe not as critical. And we saw that. I mean, quarterback play is always critical, but I'm just saying they went 5-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater. They went 3-1 and with Taysom Hill. They were able to win games without Drew. I don't think the depth is there this year where I do think they need quarterback play to maybe elevate mm-hmm. some of the some of the players. Mm-hmm. When you have when you have to start Troutman, I think Troutman will be good, but when you have to mm-hmm. start Troutman, you have to start Traquan and some of these guys, Ruiz, that you're not totally sure about, you yeah. gotta just throw them in the fire because you don't have the depth. And then some guys will get injured and you'll have to play guys that you're even less confident in, right? And so you will need a quarterback to kind of elevate. Uh, the lack of depth that you have. So I think that's the two big takeaways from that. And Ross, I think that's totally spot on. You know, one thing that I find really interesting about the Saints this year is Sean Payton, you know, he, I, I don't know if you listened to it, but it's it's the Huddle and Flow podcast with... Loved uh, that interview. What's that? That I loved that interview. And his interview was tremendous. And he talked yes. about, listen, the NFL, we don't do a good enough job of giving minorities... Had, you know, assistant coaches that we don't do a good enough job in the pipeline. And mm-hmm. it was great. But the thing that I think didn't get enough notice is when his quarterback job came open, he gave it to Ronald Curry. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm going to tell you something. If Jameis does well and they don't give Ronald Curry the credit that they gave Leftwich, which he deserves, right, I'm going to lose my mind. It seems to me like none of the offensive assistants for Sean Payton get like any chances. Sean McVay, you have coffee with them and you get a gig, right? <laughs> and, and I, right. Just, I That's want... how I got my job. <laughs> I want I want Jameis to kill it and I want Ronald Car- I want him getting offensive coordinator opportunities you know I just it's weird it's weird to me Ross that like the Saints have been a top five offense for going on a decade and a half and like Joe Lombardi's he got two shots and that's about it like mm-hmm. it's just we it's just weird to Marone, me. Doug Marone. Do, well, yeah. Yeah, that that's the early like that's the earliest one, but like the Sean Payton coaching tree took until the 2021 offseason to take root. And that's wild. That's really wild considering the success that his that that this you know, this team these coaches have all had. And you know, you watch you know, teams that have you know, coaches that have big coaching trees. Bill Belichick not a very successful coaching tree yeah, however, you because it's you know what I mean? right. because it is so bill belichick heavy right sean payton's style whether it be with the quarterback whether it be with the players whether it be with the coaches a little bit more symbiotic to where everybody has input you know you're seeing guys like ryan nielsen in the draft room helping to make decisions you're seeing the coordinators that are involved in all of that and you're seeing this upward mobility for all of these different coaches that are coming through. And now all of a sudden you see, you know, Joe Lombardi heading to San Diego, Aaron Glenn and Dan Campbell heading out, Dan Rauch heading. So you see like the coaching tree sort of starting to take form for Sean Payton. I agree about Ronald Curry. Ronald Curry is a rising star within the NFL coaching community. I'm perfectly comfortable saying that. That's not something I'm just saying. It's something that people have told me. And that is something I'm very excited to continue to see. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to be working on a big feature around Ronald Curry because I love his story and his trajectory so far has been remarkable and I'm looking forward to continuing to track it. But I agree him coming in and transitioning over to quarterback coach success with either of these quarterbacks. Honestly, he has to be given some of that credit because he has, um, you know, we, we ask a lot to Jameis to taste him. Hey, what's it like to step into the shoes of you know drew Brees and and feel that and ronald curry now as the new quarterback coach even though he's not personally stepping into i mean he's stepping into big shoes in terms of joe lombardi but he's not personally stepping into the drew Brees shoes he's still stepping into the drew Brees legacy and having to prepare somebody for that it's a huge responsibility and if he does that i I think he deserves a ton of credit for it okay now i want to talk about fun things Sure. What is that was awesome, but I, I want this season. That wasn't fun. It was fun, but like, but like, <laughs> come on, but like man. now I want to talk about shit all over Ross. Like no, no, I told you all this great stuff about Ross. No, I want to talk about comedy stuff. <laughs> comedy stuff is better. I apologize, Ross. Oh, okay. Comedy stuff. You're good. We're, we're I want comedy. I want it because Jameis has this outgoing personality, right? And uh-huh. he had it in Tampa. When he got thrown off the field stuff, when they struggled, like he's still doing the eat the W stuff. Like he right. never changed throughout the seven and nine struggles, the 33 interceptions. Like his personality didn't change and he's out there and he's kind of arrogant, but in a fun way. If the Saints win and you combine Jameis's attitude of eat the W 
with Sean Payton's sort of, I like to give the finger to the NFL in the media. If you combine those two things, mm-hmm. I think we could have the most fun season since 2009, 2011. I'm not saying to win a Super Bowl. I'm just saying week in and week out, fun, sticking it to the media, being on first take, doing goofy type things. That's what I'm talking I think there's potential for that in a way that we haven't had in a while. I, I hearken it to the 2017 season, Ralph. The 2017 season was one to where Saints, the New Orleans Saints were all over morning shows. Um, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, they were all over like the Dion's best comedy duo ever. Show, right? Like you saw, I, I wrote a piece about them that was uh, called Social, Sovereign, and Savage because. They were savage on the field in terms of their attitude. They were an extremely confident club. They were so vern in that they were doing their own thing the entire season, the entire time, and not walking anybody's line. And they were social in terms of their ability to engage with various communities outside of just their own. And so I, I look at it as the potential of having that same type of reach, engagement, and effect, impact, like they had in mm. 2017. You know, it's interesting because Breeze kind of always counterbalanced Sean Payton. You got one guy that shoots from the hip, arrogant, but he's supremely talented and a genius, so he can get away with it. Whereas you have another guy who has every reason to be arrogant and is just so humble and always says the right thing, well, except for when he goes on Yahoo Finance. But otherwise, he always says the right thing and, uh, you know, just conducts himself in a positive manner all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And I see a little bit of that in Taysom. I feel like Taysom is one of those guys who, always says the right thing, very humble, very quiet, goes about his business. But Jameis is, and Jameis to his credit actually has been a lot like that recently. Mm -hmm. But, but so like Ralph is kind of painting him as this like eat the W like, but I, I actually think Jameis has come to a place in his life where he is kind of leveled out and he's not necessarily as in your face, but if he starts getting a taste of success Mm. again, I think he's going to have fun with it. And you know Sean Payton is going to double down on that shit because it's going to be like, I just won without Drew Brees. And he's going to let everyone know that that's what just happened. And I just think the combination of Jameis with Sean Payton would elevate other fans hating the Saints to a level. Like, Drew Brees was never offending opposing fans. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think this could... I this want them to lean really into being a villain. That's, a really that's what I want. Too. I want them to lean yeah. into being a villain. You 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 want the Trey Young angle? Yeah, right I now. want I want, want Trey Young, but but like <laughs> I want when they play Tampa on Halloween, like I want Jameis to do awesome, and I want Sean Payton to like twist the knife in air. I'm so glad that you brought up that game. I highlighted that game recently as one of the <laughs> moments I'm most looking forward to this season. It's either Jameis Winston getting the opportunity to score another touch to throw another touchdown against his former team on Halloween night, which is a sentence that feels like it should end three times before it actually does. But it just has so many like great aspects to it that you just have to keep going or um, Taysom Hill getting the opportunity to outperform Matt Ryan twice again this season. I think both of those are ones that are really exciting to me. And honestly, I do think that like 
the thing that all three of these quarterbacks have in common, Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, Drew Brees, even though it might look different between the three of them, is competitiveness. They're all supreme competitors, just like Sean Payton is. Like Nobody's going to be willing to back that back down. So I think that that taste of victory thing that Andrew talked about is something that goes for everybody that's involved in this situation and really across the team as a whole. Because if this team, this team has something to prove, that is unlike what they've had to prove in the past to where the questions that were formerly being asked of them oftentimes were kind of waved off as whatever, that's just noise. Now there's like legitimate questions around this team because there's a humongous changing of the guard at the most important position and you're coming out of a, a Hall of Famer, you know, and into the, yeah. the next era. And so now all of a sudden, like the level of what's to prove the bar might have just been risen. And I think because of that, the same will want to rise to that occasion. If Taysom goes 4-0 against the Falcons, I think... Sean Payton will just ascend into heaven. Like, right. well, I I, just, I think Ross <laughs> just convinced me that the most unrealistic yet a perfect scenario for this season mm-hmm. is that Jameis is awesome, like he just tears it up, but inexplicably he gets benched for the two Falcons games. Like Sean Payton <laughs> so like you're you're not playing against the Falcons, but he's awesome, and he's just like, you know, we're just going to play our backup quarterback against the Falcons and we sweep them with Taysom Hill. And maybe, and, maybe it's and the then they 17 go on to win the game Super season thing. Maybe it's a 17 <laughs> yeah. game season thing. Like, right? you're like, you know what? You got to rest. You're going to rest. You're going to let Taysom handle this one again. <laughs> he's got this. Oh my God. <laughs> for Sign me up for that. <laughs> you could have a t-shirt 28 to three on the front and four and O Taysom on the back. <laughs> Dave to make yes. that. That would be yes. D- Dave, oh, whenever the Islanders get done in the Stanley Cup playoffs, we can we can task Dave with doing actual work for the podcast. <laughs> get some t-shirts rolling. That's right, Ross. We can't thank you enough for joining us. Tell the people they know, but tell them how to find you on Twitter and what all the stuff you're you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, this was such a pleasure and uh, so much fun. And I really appreciate y'all taking the time and, and opening up space for me to, to come in and, and be able to chop it up and share the mic with you guys. This has been an absolute blast and uh, would love to reciprocate, have you guys over on Locked on Saints talking a little bit about the uh, the season upcoming and everything. And, you know, just keep the keep the love going back and forth because you guys are incredible. So I really appreciate it. And you've been remarkably supportive. And thank you for that. Well, um, that's what we're trying to. I'm seriously, I'm trying this yeah. year. I want to all the podcasts because the Saints Twitter and the podcast community, we're all cool. We're all fun, all of us. I want to be reaching out to all of us and get us more yeah. inclusive because in the end, it helps us all because Absolutely. people discover each one of them about how we're all different and, and great. And I think it's just fun. It's just fun to talk Saints. That's what me and Andrew want to do. So Absolutely. for the man, Hold Ross on, let, Jackson. Let him, pl- let him pl- plug his go. Twitter. Go plug oh, the Twitter. Good. Plug Ross Jacksonola at, at Ross Jacksonola N O L A. You can catch Locked On Saints every Monday through Friday, and then of course uh, Canal Street Chronicles for the written work as well. I appreciate y'all. That's right. So Thanks, for a- Ross. for Andrew, for Ross, I'm Ralph. We will see you Sunday night on the live on the live stream. See Andrew, I did it right. <laughs> YouTube live stream. You got to tell them where you're where they're going. They don't know where the live stream is. <laughs>